You're listening to the iterators of the Imperium. Hi, I'm Mess, and I'm here with my co-host Ryan, and you're listening to Iterators of the Imperium podcast, the podcast in which Ryan is the expert on Warhammer 40k, and I'm the noob trying to learn about the Warhammer universe. So Ryan, what is today's topic? Well, today's topic is uh, following on from last week's, where we started off the Horus Heresy. So last time we talked about Horus's gradual fall into chaos, uh, and we got a little bit of side story in there, but... Uh, at the end of it, Horus is preparing with his fellow Primarchs. He had gained uh, three followers in this matter. He had Fulgrim of the Emperor's Children, he had Lorgar of the Word Bears, and he had Perturabo of the World Eaters on his side. So he cleansed his legions of all the traitors by putting them on Estevan three and then bombing the crap out of the planet. <laughs> uh and during this, uh, Nathaniel Garrow, the the hero that he is, managed to escape and get warning of the treachery to Terra. Uh, so mm-hmm. this episode, we're going to be continuing this. There's a few major events in this. Estevan 3, Estevan 5, and then the Siege of Terra, where per- uh, Horus actually tries to take the fight to the Emperor, are the yeah. three main events. In this one, we're going to talk about um, some kind of side story stuff, but it's like what the other Primarchs were doing at the time and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, a little bit uh, about just kind of other backstory stuff that's going on at the same time that's important. And then we're going to talk about Estevan 5. And then in the next episode, we're going to cover the Siege of Terra and then the aftermath of all of this, what happened because of everything that went on here. Yeah. So... Uh, as we said, Nathaniel Garrow uh, managed to escape with the Eisenstein and flee to Terra to warn uh, the Emperor. The Emperor at this point was indisposed and was not acting as the Imperial Regent at the time. He wasn't technically in charge of the Empire at this point. He mm. he was, but he had someone acting in his stead. He had Malkador the Sigilite acting as the Imperial Regent because the Emperor was busy on his weird projects that he, was, that he left Horus in charge for. So it was Malkador that Garrow ended up getting a meeting with and warning. Now, on the way back to Terra, uh, Garrow actually ran into Rogal Dorn, the leader of the Imperial Fists. Um, at the start of this whole thing with Horus, he is actually with Horus, um, but he gets a communication that he's got, been given new orders to go back to Terra and bolster the defences, because his guys are an immovable object. If they hunker down somewhere, if they bolster the defences of a location, you cannot move them. They will never be taken out. So they're called back to Earth to, you know, act as guardians and build up defences and stuff. So on the way back, because the warp is all messy at this point, they've had a hell of a time trying to get back and Garrow ends up running into them. And luckily that helps him get back to Terra properly. So uh, he gets back to Terra with Rogaldorn, meets the Sigilite, warns him about everything that's going on, and then he's actually given a task, which is interesting, being everything he's just been through. Um, Garrow is tasked by uh, Malkador to scour the galaxy to find seven other space marines uh, from both Loyalist and Traitor Legions that, that basically they are shining beacons of morality, right? Yeah, and then he has these these people, Garrow and the seven other Astartes he finds, fa- uh, as founding members of the Grey Knights, 
remember at the end of oh god we went two episodes ago we did a little thing where we talked about um the three orders that Malkador set up and one of them was put on one of the moons of like i think it's venus and then like phased out of existence for <laughs> ages uh garrow is a founding member of those guys so he was tasked with finding the other space marines that would be in charge of it that would, mm-hmm. that would run it because what he did proved he was exactly the kind of guy that they wanted in charge of that kind of thing because he managed to fight chaos on the way back he was bold enough to stand up against four primarchs <laughs> to try and flee to, uh, to warn terra so you know exactly the guy you want in charge of that yeah so that's quite cool but that's a little bit of like side story stuff so uh rogal dorn is back on terra at this point bolstering the defenses and stuff um so we're going to talk about a bunch of the other Primarchs and what they were doing at this point. So uh, the first one I was going to talk about was Magnus, but I realized that's a stupid order to do it. And so we're going to do Fulgrim next. Mm-hmm. So Fulgrim's story goes kind of alongside Horus's. Um, they happen at like the same time. Well, most of this happens at the same time, obviously, but you know. So uh, while Horus was kind of doing his old Descent into Chaos thing, Fulgrim's Legion, including Fulgrim, invaded an alien world and they found this weird temple uh with like really creepy music and stuff and he stole an alien sword from it and just started using it as his main sword for some reason <laughs> uh and the the there's some kind of spirit inside the sword that starts like talking to him and like influencing his decisions and then he gradually like falls more and more under its control <laughs> Yeah. It does look a bit insane. Uh, I've I've just seen the uh, a picture of him. I said to you too. Yes, that it does look th- insane. That is There's the like, sword. It looks like some some stuff around his like the arm he's holding it with his right arm. There's like stuff possessing him, like lights. Yes, on the sword. so it's a pretty weird sword, but it, it gradually like invades his mind and like basically warps his desires. His guys are all about perfection and he loves art and stuff like that. So he has like a lot of the artist ones, the sculptors and stuff on his fleet. Um, and it just becomes more and more deprived and disgusting for lack of a better term. <laughs> There's one of them is a painter who ends up uh, making paintings with like people's body parts so she needs a really good red and turns out blood is great for that. Stuff like that. Oh, so she ends God. up painting a painting of Fulgrim. Uh, but it looks disgusting and grotesque. It looks horrible, but it's painted almost entirely with human viscera. That's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, that's how bad these guys get. Um, and he ends up, he loves the painting, so he has it like in his private chambers. People go to see him, and he's like talking when they go in, and then there's no one else there, and then they realize he was talking to the painting. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it, it's horrible. Yeah, he's a freak. It's horrible. Um, but there's a point where he, go, like, he goes to the painting, and what he sees in it is a perfectly real version of himself. And you realize that the actual Fulgrim is the one now in the painting talking to him. And the disgusting, grotesque monster that was in it before is possessing Fulgrim. What the f- What? <laughs> so Fulgrim has, like, the temple that he attacked and the sword that he took. The people that were there worshipped Slanesh, the god of excess and depravity. Ah, yeah. So he just gradually was warped by it. So now his body is possessed by a demon of Slanesh, and he's just trapped inside watching his body wow. be evil. 
That's not optimal. <laughs> That's not great. <laughs> no. So by the time Horus is like properly evil and chaosy, Fulgrim's just like a demon in a guy body. <laughs> it's a demon in a flesh suit. Um, so before I yes, yeah, before Estevan three, I believe, or shortly after, I can't remember which. Um, Fulgrim is tasked with recruiting Ferris Manus, the Primarch of the Iron Hands, to join him because they are best friends. Like those two get along so well. So he's like, oh, you know, I can definitely recruit him. So he goes to meet Ferris Manus, tries to recruit him, and they just get into this bloody brawl. Because <laughs> obviously Ferris Manus is like, you're nuts, you know that. <laughs> like, you're a moron, why are you doing this? But obviously at this point, Fulgrim's pretty corrupted by the big demon thing. So he just fights him, almost kills him, and then just leaves. So Horus gets real angry at Fulgrim about it. And then tasks Fulgrim with moving on to Estevan 5 to prepare for his plans there. So mm -hmm. Fulgrim and his legion go ahead and build defences and stuff, uh, like dig out trenches and everything, on Estevan 5, uh, along with the section of the uh, Mechanicum of Mars that, Ful uh, that, that Horus managed to turn to his side by trading them the STCs. So... They like bulwark that planet so that it's ready for like a war, basically. Um, <laughs> so that's Fulgrim's side of this. That's what he was doing while Horus was turning evil, and shortly after, uh, Magnus probably has the best and worst one. It is so unfortunate, honestly. Like it is just okay. terrible. So Magnus. Uh, he after after he did the ritual thing and tried to warn uh, Horus in his dream that he yeah. was he was being like misled and lied to. Uh, he was like, "All right, okay, okay, that didn't work. I just need to warn the emperor now, so he can send like the full might of the legions to end Horus before anything goes wrong." Right? Wait, let, let me get, let, let me get a con on, uh, control. This was when Horus was injured, right? Yes. And he has, like, his fever dreams or whatever yes. it was. Aye. And Magnus the Red just popped in. Yes. Like, he, yeah, okay, okay. okay. He, yeah, like, I'm, astral I'm... projected himself with a big crazy ritual into his dreams to try and, like, save him, basically. Because he knew what was happening. Um, yeah. But after that failed, he's like, right, I just need to warn the Emperor then. right? And I want to make yep. this clear. He had enough time to fly across the galaxy to the Emperor to warn him in person, right? I promise you, he definitely had enough time to do that, right? Yeah. But Magnus, no, no, no. He decided magic was the way to go. Oh, for God's sake. This is after the Council in Ikea. He knows he's not supposed to do magic. He was warned. But he, he like, he tried to do the same thing, astral project, into the Emperor's throne room or into the Emperor's palace to warn yeah. him. But he found there was a bunch of, like, magical warding around it. Right? And at this point, the Emperor's working on a secret project thing on Earth that no one knows what it is. Mm -hmm. So Magnus does this big ritual with all his dudes to break through the warding, thinking it's just like a protective thing for general purposes, not knowing it's part of the Emperor's secret project. Oh. <laughs> right? So he breaks through that, astral projects into the palace, and tries to tell the Emperor what's going on. Unfortunately, the project the Emperor was working on was really important and really delicate, and he's just busted through half of the safety mechanisms. Right. Uh, it's like taking the heat limiter off of a nuclear power plant. It's not going to go well after that. <laughs> so 
what the Emperor was working on, right? Do you remember that the old ones had the webway portals? There's like tunnels through the warp that were perfectly yes, safe. that was safe and yeah. Yeah, there's one of them, one of the entrance portals on Earth. Okay. And the Emperor was trying to work on it to reactivate it so that the Earth, uh, so that like humanity would have access to the webway. Right? Which is a game changer. That would have been incredible if we had had that. Right? We'd have won okay. every war. But <laughs> he was working on a very delicate manner. And the reason he had all the warding up was to stop demons getting through the improperly functioning portal into oh, the heart of humanity's homeworld. And Magnus <laughs> just like busted through it like the goddamn Kool-Aid guy. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, you ruined it. Yeah, so suddenly the Imperial Palace starts getting flooded with demons and stuff. So the Emperor start, obviously has to deal with that. But Magnus does this, then, then exclaims to the heavens that Horus is a traitor. But the Emperor is like, well, no, you clearly are, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> we told you through. not to do this, and now you've done this shit. Like, yeah. what is your problem, Magnus? So he... There is... A golden throne in the Emperor's throne room, right? It's this big golden throne, but it's a piece of, like, warp machinery, right? Yeah. And the Emperor now has to sit upon it to keep all the demons away from Earth. Mm-hmm. Right? So the Emperor is now stuck on his throne doing this constant, like, use of his psychic powers to keep all the demons away from Earth. <laughs> it's, like, to stop them coming through. Right, so now the emperor can't fucking leave. <laughs> so that's why when Garrow got to Earth to warn them, he didn't get to meet the emperor. He had to meet the sigilite because the emperor literally cannot leave his throne now. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh... So the emperor now being stuck there, having his project destroyed, and you know all the stuff that comes with that, uh, was like, right, Magnus is a traitor. We have to deal with this. So he sent Lehman Russ. Right, the Primarch of the Space Wolves, who hates Magnus because of his magic nonsense, to go get Magnus and bring him back to Earth to stand trial for what he did. Right yeah. now, the issue with this is that on his journey, Horus found out about this and intercepted Lehman Russ and uh, gave him a message that his orders had changed, that the Emperor had decided that uh, it was a kill order now rather than detainment. So Lehman oh. Ross was to wipe out Magnus and his entire legion. Right? Oh God! Yeah. Yeah. Right. He's because like, they, at, at, at that point they didn't know about Horus and, and his uh, his plans, right? Exactly. So Lehman's gonna do Horus's dirty work for him and take out one of the loyalists. Oh, that's smart. It's really smart, but it's terrible for us, for the good guys. Yeah. So Lehman Ross goes to do that. Magnus uh, felt horrible for what he did. He knew what he did was wrong. He didn't know to the extent of damage he had done, but he knew what he did was wrong. So he wanted to uh, like provide some kind of retribution for this. So he didn't tell his people to defend from the Space Wolves. He didn't even warn them that they were coming, basically. So when the wow. Space Wolves arrived, they just opened fire on the planet. They just they just started bombing the crap out of uh, Prospero, uh, Magnus's homeworld, right? Yeah. Which Magnus thought they were coming to detain him, not to kill him. So he didn't even expect this. But they were unprepared, so none of their defenses were online or anything. 
<laughs> so they had to like you know they had a, a fair bit of time before their defenses were up and running and they could fight back which is terrible um so they eventually get defenses up and running and they start fighting but Lehman Ross had such an advantage that they were just they were the planet was getting destroyed and so was so were the thousand sons Magnus's legion then mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of stuff goes on because it's terrible Araman uh, Magnus's second in command enacts this ritual that for some reason it changed we're going to get into this when we do Magnus's storyline properly but what it does is it turns all his people into like magical dust inside their suits so they're no longer human like they don't have a physical body anymore basically <laughs> they're essentially just a possessing their suits which is terrible um, and then Magnus performs another ritual which teleports them onto a different homework or a different world and saves the last of his men. But he teleports them on uh, the planet of sorcerers. I can't, it might be Sorcero, but it's uh, within the warp <laughs> and it's one of Zinch's homeworlds. <laughs> so Magnus ends up having to agree to work for Zinch, uh, the trick, like the god of change. Because otherwise, his entire legion was just going to get deleted from existence, basically. That's such a shitty situation. Yeah, so Magnus was like, he had he had his arm tied behind his back and was forced to join Chaos. Oh, so that's terrible. <laughs> uh, Lionel Johnson, the, the Primarch of the Dark Angels, his legion was totally effed up by the Night Lords. <laughs> Remember the Primarch that runs around like Batman and murders people in the dark till they yeah, 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 yeah. His dudes went and messed up the Dark Angels, so they were out of the game. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Uh, the Ultramarines with uh, Reboot Gilliman, uh, they were given false orders by Horus to go to a planet called Kalf, claiming there was an orc uprising there. Uh, there was an orc like army building, and they were to go wipe them out. So uh, the Ultramarines and Reboot Gilliman were going to team up with Lorgar and his legion. Now, if you'll remember, Reboot Gilliman burned Lorgar's favorite planet to the ground and made him watch. So yeah. Lorgar hates this guy, but it was a lie. The whole thing was a lie. So Lorgar was planning to wipe out Gilliman and his army. So Gilliman sent most of his troops to Kalth for this and left like one one captain in charge of their homeworld. Lorgar sent a, a like a separate ship from his fleet with like a thousand space marines to go take out the homeworld of the ultramarines. <laughs> uh, and then also sent most of his guys to um, take out the actual legion on Kalth. So they got there, ambushed the ultramarines, almost wiped them into the dirt, which is unfortunate. But luckily, they were able to call for reinforcements from their homeworld because the ship that was supposed to go blow up their homeworld was intercepted in the warp and basically just, like... It it was another ultramarine ship that found them in the warp. And then when they ended up in a battle, the ultramarine ship basically gave every one of their lives to wipe out the uh, Wordbearer's ship. So they never got to attack the homeworld. So the Ultramarines on Kalth were able to call for reinforcements and managed to turn the fight in their favor a little bit. But unfortunately, the uh, uh, word bearers managed to get a hold of the planet's like defenses for attacking ships in space, like orbital defenses, mm-hmm. and used them to bombard the world's sun. <laughs> 
uh, causing it to just release massive amounts of radiation and solar flares, making the planet entirely uninhabitable. Yeah. So the damage they had done to the Ultramarines was so much that they were just not a threat anymore. So you've now got Magnus's Legion is not there to defend Earth. The Ultramarines are not in scale enough to defend Earth. The uh, Dark Angels are not able to defend Earth. You're running out of loyalists pretty quick here. Yeah. Um, uh, Jagatai Khan, the uh, the Primarch of the White Scars, was getting told different stuff from like 17 different Primarchs. and just had no idea what was going on. Like, it was getting contradictory information from, like, five different people at once and getting a bunch of scrambled messages that were, like, half distorted by the warp and just had no idea what was happening. So you know what he did? What did he do? Unlike everyone else, he just waited until he knew what was going on. <laughs> like, the only reasonable guy in this entire situation is the one that's obsessed with bikes with rocket packs on them. He's not the one I expected to be, like, reasonable, but he was reasonable, which is weird. <laughs> eh, you know, yeah. surprise, you know, surprise you. Exactly, yeah, who'd have thought? So, uh, there, are a, there are a bunch of loyalists left, there are quite a few left. So, we get on to Istvan 5 now, right? Mm -hmm. This is the main event of this episode, I guess. Istvan 5 was Horus's next part of his plan. It was Istvan 3, then it was Istvan 5. Istvan 3, they purged their legions. Istvan 5, they're going to have to fight the Loyalists, and they knew that. So, yeah. the Loyalists that were, that were you know, sent to assault them were Vulcan and his Salamanders. You know, he's the gigantic one with a hammer. Uh, Corvus Corax of the Raven Guard, um, the big emo kid, and Ferris Manus, who was the one that Fulgrim almost killed before this. And he was dead set on revenge against Fulgrim. He could not accept the fact that uh, Fulgrim had turned against them. So these three and their entire legions were sent to go fight on Istvan V. Unfortunately, Fulgrim had already been there and set up loads of defences and stuff. So the people they were attacking had a bit of an advantage. But they had reinforcements coming behind them shortly after. So they're like, we're good. We just need to like weaken them until the other legions arrive. And then there'll be so many of us, they can't possibly win, no matter what they've got. Yeah. Those three legions arrived on uh, Estevan V, and they had to fight against the four traitor legions. So Horus's Sons of Horus, Fulgrim's uh, Emperor's Children, Perturabo's World Eaters, who are feral, and Lorgar's... No, not Lorgar's dude. Were Lorgar's dudes there? Oh, no, anyway. They were fighting the traitors. <laughs> The assault started, and it was it was a bloodbath of immeasurable scale, right? Like, there had never been a war like this at any point in any history anywhere in the galaxy before. But the Loyalists were winning. They actually were. They were taking heavy losses, but they were winning. They managed to push the enemies back quite a bit, even though they had, like, the support of the, the traitor uh, Mechanicum as well. They managed to push them back. And then... The Loyalist reinforcements arrived at the drop site behind the Loyalist line, because they'd pushed forward, obviously, while fighting the traitors. So behind them dropped the four legions, Alpharius and the Alpha Legion, the Night Lords with Conrad Cruz, uh, Kurz, the Iron Warriors with Perturabo. Perturabo is not the leader of the uh, World Eaters. I'm sorry, that's Angron. He was the one that was already on the planet. Sorry. 
Um, <laughs> I got them mixed up. Uh, and then Lorgar and the Wallbearers appear behind them as well. So those four uh, dropped in behind the Loyalist line. Unfortunately, as you already know, Lorgar's a traitor. <laughs> so that's not good. <laughs> so the Loyalists that were there thought they had basically won the day. They were like, we've kicked their asses so far, and now we've got four more legions behind us. We've won. So they started like doing like a fighting retreat to get their injured away and stuff like that. So Vulcan and Korax started to lead their guys back to the drop site, basically to swap out and let mm-hmm. like their injured go to like Medicaid and stuff uh, and kind of, you know, get all their guys back together, back into fighting order and then take the fight to them again. While the four new Loyalist Legions went in and attacked and kept the fight forward. Uh, so they thought they had won until the new Loyalist reinforcements started firing directly into their legions. So now you've got the Salamanders, the Raven Guard, and the Iron Hand being gunned down by traitors on both sides because all of their reinforcements were also ours as traitors. This is why it's called the Drop Site Massacre. I mean, fitting name. It is, yeah. At this, or around this time, Fulgrim had actually came to the field and Ferris Manus charged forward to challenge him because he was just adamant, I'm taking this guy down. Do you remember I told you about when they met in the Primark episode? They each made a weapon for each other and agreed that... Yeah, and they switched. They switched, yeah. uh, yeah. In their fight earlier, when Fulgrim tried to uh, recruit Ferris Manus, Ferris melted the sword that he had made for Fulgrim so that he unarmed him. And then Fulgrim took the hammer back and absolutely kicked Ferris' ass with it. So now they come to fight again with uh, Fulgrim wielding the hammer he had made against his brother and Ferris having remade the sword purely to use it to take down Fulgrim. (laughs) Wanted to kill him with his own weapon. Um, The fight goes on for a bit and Fulgrim is injured, but he ends up, I believe, decapitating Ferris Manus. One way or another, Ferris Manus is killed right then and there on Estevan 5 by Fulgrim. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you're down a Primark as well now, and his legion is basically wiped out. There are very few stragglers left, because a lot of them went with him to fight uh, Fulgrim. Like, they moved forward with him as he charged, so they tried to cover him, which meant that they were, like, stuck directly in the middle of the enemy lines and just got annihilated. Some of Vulcan and Korax's dudes managed to... um, like save a few of them, but very few of his guys of the Iron Hands actually survived this, which is terrible. Yeah, Corax, uh, Corvus Corax, barely escaped death by using his like jetpack to escape. Um, there are no records in Imperial space for what happened to Vulcan. He basically just went missing. <laughs> so did his legion, <laughs> which is not great. Corus, uh, Corvus Corax managed to escape onto like a. Uh, Thunderhawk, one of the ships that was already taking off, but it was shot down shortly after. Uh, And he and the remainders of his legion were basically on the run on this planet for months. Luckily, the guy they had left in charge of their, like, homeworld, one of their captains, just came and saved them. He had just been like, fuck this, I'm gonna go for him. And they managed to, like, come in and, and, like, pick them up. Uh, So they... Corvus, Corax, did survive. And they managed to leave. So the traitors had won, basically. On Estevan 5, three Loyalist Legions were all but wiped out, and one Primarch was actually killed. Wow. Which is rough. That's that is rough. I feel like you understatement when you said it, because that's a big deal. It is. That's the first that's... Primarch that has died. 
Yeah, I thought everybody was live. I mean, that, that I'm a new Brian. Yeah. Uh, 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 you just like, he decapitated it. He's dead. Like, wait, what? Yeah, exactly. Like, real though. Yeah. Takes a Primark to oh. kill a Primark, my man. I guess. Yeah, and at this point, Fulgrim's all possessed and stuff, so he's got Slanesh on his side. So, Ferris oh, <laughs> like, had a rough time with that one, but yeah, Ferris is, is straight up Deadsville now. That's kind of sad. It's really sad because he was a cool guy in Metal Hands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, Vulcan's gone and Korax is heavily injured. Um, Corvus Korax, after this, did make his way to Terra. Uh, it took him like 133 days to get there because the warp's a mess. But he did manage to get there, but basically his legion wasn't worth considering in the fight because they were nigh on wiped out. You know what I mean? He basically only had what was left to defend his homeworld and they had to stay to defend his homeworld. So it was basically just like him that went to Terra. <laughs> so not a huge reinforcement. So Terra was left with Rolgal Dorn, who had been there for a while now, building all the defences, and his entire legion to defend Terra, along with Sanguinius and Jagatai Khan. Because the Khan eventually figured out that Horus was just straight up evil and just yeah. went back to Terra to defend. So you've got three legions to defend against seven traitor legions now, mm -hmm. which is not good because Horus's sights are now set on Terra. His plan is just to siege the planet because they have a massive troop advantage. Um, yeah, so Terra was left to be defended by Rogaldor and Sanguinius and Jagatai Khan. Three Titan legions were there as well and almost two million soldiers of the Astral Militarum to fight against seven traitor legions. The Dark Mechanicum, so the traitors from the Mechanicum and basically anyone else they could get on site. <laughs> it is not a great situation to end up in. I'll be honest with you, I thought this was going to take longer. <laughs> Oh, because that—that is—that is the drop site massacre as a whole. Oh, I kind of actually got into that, but that's—that's that's good. That's good. We—we've kind of come to the end of the Estevan Five section of this because I would like to keep the siege of Terra and the aftermath as an individual episode because it's you know the siege of Terra is the last big section of this, and the aftermath yeah. will just be a bunch of like kind of quick, short, bullet pointy things, and then we can mm. look into you know what that kind of stuff means as individual episodes and get us closer to the whole 40k side of this whole thing. Because we're still pretty yeah. early on in this, you know? We're still back in, like, 30k. Just as a thing to, to give you, because uh, I know you like Sanguinius. There is a little bit that goes on with him, but I really expected to talk about it uh, in a Sanguinius episode, or his uh, Blood Angels episode. But mm -hmm. there is a thing called the Black Rage and the Red Thirst that his Legion has. There is some kind of flaw in their gene seed, which means that the Red Thirst, they basically thirst for human blood. What? Yeah, Sanguinius's Legion are like vampires. They actually have fangs and stuff. Right? Which, Wait, what? It, it, it's not unheard of for people to have this. Because like, Space Wolves also have fangs, because they're kind of wolfy, obviously. Yeah. But uh, shortly before this point, something happened, and some of uh, his Legion started to go a little bit feral, and they started to get this red thirst thing. But the black rage is when they like give in to that like brutal feeling in the back of their head that tells them to just go start tearing people apart with their bare hands. Which yeah. is great in some fights, but if you're trying to protect, say, like a human settlement, terrible, because you'll eventually do collateral damage. Yeah. But if you're like in a horde of orcs, 
fucking throw yourself into the black rage, my <laughs> dude. Just kill everything you see. Um, so it's strategically sometimes useful, but most people don't come back from the black rage. But I don't think the black rage had set in at this point yet. But I think it had like started to rear its fangs a bit. But the red thirst was definitely around at this point. So some of his guys were going a little bit feral, but it wasn't like a big issue yet. Uh, they were trying to keep it under wraps and stuff. And uh, Horace does make use of it a little bit. <laughs> he finds out about it, about the flaw in the gene seed, because him and Sanguinius are so close. Um, and he does kind of use that against his legion a little bit. <laughs> I don't think they know exactly why that happens. I believe it is just put down to like a fault in the gene seed for them. Just something went wrong while they were being made. Like Magnus's legion also has a fault in their gene seed. They were already kind of looked on as like not great guys to have around because of their whole psyker thing that they were doing, you know, because <laughs> of their yeah. disposition towards magic. People already didn't like them very much. <laughs> Yo, wait, Ryan? Yes. By the way, quick question here because for, of Sanguinius. Uh, he has wings. Yes. Can he use them? Yes. Sanguinius can fly. Oh, that's amazing. I like him even more now. <laughs> A lot of his legion actually... Um, have like wings made as part of their equipment and fly with them so like yeah. uh, corvus corax his legion just love jetpacks but the blood angels guys tend to like having wings as well i think they call yeah. like wings of the angel or angel wings or something like that because they actually see like they actually see sanguinius as an angel i mean the the way it gets depicted is like very angelly as well yes i like, very holy yes he, well he's just the best guy he may as well be an angel <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was cool. There, actually, there is something else I can tell you about going on just now. Um, mm -hmm. So there is a point during this that, because uh, it's, it's a bit of a side thing, and the timing of it, I believe, lines up with the Siege of Terra a bit, but the whole warp thing gets much worse because now the traitors actually do have the traitor gods on their side. They've got yeah. Magnus, who has officially told Horus that he's joining him in the fight against Terra, and he literally is working for Zinch now. You've got Fulgrim yeah. who's possessed by one of Slanesh's demons. You know what I mean? They actually are working with the Chaos Gods at this point when it comes to the, the siege. So they're able to have the warp become worse in certain areas and like totally block off communication and stuff at their will, at their behest. Which is not great for the Loyalists. But one of the things that goes on at this point is... Um, I believe it is... Yes, yeah, it's, it's the Ultramarines. It's Reboot Gilliman. He thinks that Terra has fallen and believes that basically the entire Imperium is going to be wiped out by the traitors. So he essentially starts another empire from his homeworld kind of thing. It's looked back on as, like, the worst thing he ever did. Because, like, he basically just didn't try to help because he assumed the day was already lost and just started again. But he, he gets a lot of shit for it uh, a lot of the time because people are like, oh, so you just think you can be an emperor now, do you? What Which, up, what up, what up? Exactly, yeah. Um, I would need to look into the proper details of that, and I will, because we will cover it within an episode. Probably one about Reboot Gilliman, or uh, mm -hmm. Rabute Gilliman. I don't know if it's Reboot or Rabute, because it's, it's spelt like it's Rabute, 
but I, I don't know for sure. I think it's a silent... Uh... <laughs> it might be. That's what I've always expected, but I don't know for sure. So it could be either. But uh, when we get to an episode about him properly, we will actually cover the Empire he decides to found for 10 minutes at some yeah. point. Um, but I think that's all we need to cover for Estevan 5 and the drop site massacre, where the stage right. is set for the for the uh, invasion of Terra, or the siege of Terra, I should say, and then what comes after. This is the next episode is going to be incredible. By the way, you're going to love it. I, 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 I'm intrigued, Ryan. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you're on the edge of your seat. Yeah, I actually kind of am. <laughs> I don't know if you're watching me from the camera, but I am not watching you. Uh... I'm currently sitting like, like, okay. <laughs> like right in the front. <gasps> what happens next? <laughs> Uh, but that will be excellent I'm, I've been so excited to get to the Horus Heresy because then we can start talking about stuff after it as well but the Heresy itself is so good it just oh, it's so much drama I love it you like you like the drama I do I, I do I love every minute of it uh, but the next episode is going to be incredible and I can't wait for it. Forward to it and we're recording it tomorrow but you guys are going to get it next week oh, oh you guys have something to look forward to oh boy hell yeah <laughs> Would you like to tie us out? I can. Well, thank you guys for, for listening in to Iterators of the Imperium. Um, this has been Ryan and Miss. Uh, and yeah, we will see you in the next one. Take care and uh, peace. Bye.